Welcome to the Business of Dairy podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Carter, Development Officer with the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Dairy Team. Each month, I speak with industry people generous enough to share their stories, knowledge and skills with us to help you in the increasingly complex area of farm business management. Growing high-quality feed and utilising it in the spring period is a key opportunity to lower your total feed costs across the year. And so this month, I chat with two well-known New South Wales agronomists, Josh Hack and Peter Beale. We talk about the importance of getting your ryegrass management right coming into the spring period, the importance of nitrogen in growing this feed source, and principles of good grazing management to capture your spring surplus. Nitrogen is a key profit driver for milk production in a pasture-based dairy system. And even though we're currently seeing urea prices increase dramatically, Josh works through an example to show that it can still be cost-effective to apply with typical dry matter response rates at this time of year and the price of alternate feed sources. Okay, so today's show we are going to be talking about management of our ryegrass pastures as we come into this spring period where we see see longer days, higher temperatures and consequently an increase in growth rate in our ryegrass pastures and also managing that growth with nitrogen fertiliser which is a key profit driver for milk production from grass pastures. Today we have the pleasure of the company of both Peter Beale from Hunter Local Land Services and Josh Hack from PGG Wrightsons. Peter is an experienced agronomist with Hunter Local Land Services. He's their senior land services officer. Um, and it is also the Hunter LLS that are partnering with New South Wales DPI in presenting this podcast to our audience. Uh, so thank you for that, Peter. But you have been doing uh, lots of work over your career focusing on dairy pastures particularly but especially focusing on nitrogen use within pastures and doing a lot of research work there so thanks for joining us Peter it is great to have you uh, with us today. Yeah thanks Shana looking forward to it. Thanks and Josh Josh Hack uh, as I mentioned agronomist with PGG Rights and Seeds uh, you've been involved in pasture agronomy for the, the last 10 years with a previous history in broadacre cropping uh, in the western regions of New South Wales. You're also based in the, the mid-coast region of New South Wales and have, a, I guess, a heavy dairy client base. You've also been heavily involved in the delivery of the feeding pastures for profit workshops throughout the state, which has been a fantastic opportunity for many dairy farmers and also had a history and extension quite a few years ago. Now, Josh, with Dairy New South Wales. So, Josh, uh, great to have you with us today as well. Yeah, thanks, Sheena. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, we might kick off talking about ryegrass. I think, you know, a lot of Our pasture systems, particularly in coastal New South Wales, is based around ryegrass pastures. And Peter, at this time of year, obviously everyone that is in the ryegrass space has their pastures established, whether that's dry land or irrigated. And it'd be good just to talk about some issues around around growth rates and how we're seeing them increase from this point forward and how we can manage them with with nitrogen use. So what are our growth rates looking like currently and, and as we go ahead? Well, 
Over the years, I've been able to measure growth rates in July of around 60 kilograms of um, dry matter per hectare. It does vary, 40 to 60. But as we move into the spring, we can step up to 80 and even 100 kilograms per hectare. And that really starts from um, about now onwards through July and into early August. And on a dry land situation, our greatest growth rates are in that period of August and early September. And depending on uh, later spring rain, we dry, drying conditions actually slow the growth rate. So when we're looking at trying to maximise or, or reduce the cost of an overall pasture program, capturing that extra growth rate is really important in terms of the economics. It's potentially another two kilos, uh, well, 2,000 kilos of dry matter in that period that we'll, we'll either use it well or, or it'll go begging if, if we get a really good year. In terms of nitrogen management, some pastures are ticking over. They've, we've had a cold period and the growth rates are probably a little bit slow. You know, Josh and I were looking at radiation. It's been down with a lot of cloud, but even so, there's still pretty good growth rates. But what we need to do is anticipate that um, the next six to eight weeks are going to produce a lot of feed. We need to make sure the paddocks are well topped up with nitrogen and, and don't back off nitrogen at this point. Uh, all our soil probes are saying that the uh, soil profile is full and we know it's you know even a bit wet. So that sets us up for at least um, three to four, probably six weeks of good growth. So it's important to, to and, and Josh will talk about some of these indicators of nitrogen fertility have a look at the paddocks and be confident in the next six or eight weeks to put some nitrogen on, get the growth rates, but equally utilise the feed as it comes and, and they're both key key issues. So, yeah, no, I agree 100%. So the, the key with the, the nitrogen is farmers quite intuitive. They're out there, especially dairy farmers, they're out there moving fences twice a day. So they get to look at their paddocks a lot. It's really about you know going back to those basics of looking at our um, urine stains, okay, and seeing, seeing what they look like and seeing if they're getting responses from those, which could indicate a bit of a deficiency, and also looking across the paddocks to see what the you know, old in colour and growth is. And also, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, getting farmers to do demos on their own farm. So every time they go and put fertiliser out, make sure they're doing a, a double strip and, and missing a strip. So then you can go back and learn and, and, and see where you're at and see where, you, where your budget's sort of lying and see where you're getting your responses. So, you know, if you're getting a really good response on that double application, well, there's potential there that you could be applying more to get more growth. You know, on your stuff that you, you know, you haven't put any nitrogen on and you can't see the difference, well, maybe you're applying a bit too much. So there's some, you know, money to be saved there as well. So, you know, that visual stuff is really, really important. But, you know, Pete, you'd have some recommendations that you would go with. Yeah, look, we, normally we're talking about 40 to 50 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare per rotation. And you could even consider increasing that a little bit as we go into this spring period. We do get a lot of flush of nitrogen from the soil. But, you know, those things that you talked about, if the urine stones are showing up, we've certainly seen this year with a lot of wet conditions we've had, passes have really been responsive to nitrogen. And the thing... To, to always bear in mind is every paddock's different, every farm's different, and we can't just, while we might say use a you know, kilogram to kilogram and a half per day of rotation, it really does vary between paddocks, and you've got to make that individual assessment of what the you know what that each paddock does, and otherwise you just miss out because we do see such huge variation. And is it, some of that dependent on your soil type, Peter? 
Yeah, very much so. Sandy soils won't retain as much nitrogen. They haven't got as much organic matter, so they haven't got the reserve there. A lot of it also depends on just the last 12 months history, you know, whether we've had a lot of clover last year, what sort of application rates you've been using in the past three to four months, have you built it up or are we still lagging behind? And certainly coming out of that heavy rain we had, Josh and I both noticed that overall the nitrogen fertility was pretty low. And some of that comes because we had two very dry years where not a lot of nitrogen went on. So it's hard to um, evaluate it all. But yeah, you've really just got to look at those signs Josh was talking about and say, are the pastures um, ticking along well? Some are. I've seen some great, great results. And just if they are, keep going. But if they're not, it's, you're really coming to a point where you're going to get good growth rates and you don't want to miss out. So, Pete, I'll add to that as well that um, what we're seeing at the moment is post the flooding because we had a, a really wide um, sowing window this year. We've got a lot of late sown stuff. So, things that have sown nice and early and got away and got their roots down and established, you know, you know through the winter really well. They're really responding to nitrogen now and, and growing really, really well. Um, but we do have a lot of this late sown stuff that, and, and even on the same farms that is um, really struggling. Just we did have a really sort of cold winter and wet winter. So apart from the, um, the photosynthesis, because we had a lot more cloudy days, is because we had colder days as well um, and wet, the plants have really struggled to establish and get, get into that nitrogen and take off. They're, they're plants that are going to need nitrogen going into the spring as well and, and to be looked after, which has been challenging on the grazing management front as well. But the, the encouraging thing there is that once they do get established, they'll still grow well through the spring and don't hold back on them. Um, take, take advantage. They'll really thicken up and get done very quickly in the, in the next uh, six or eight weeks. So I guess in terms of, you know, we've spoken about growth rates that we see coming into the, the spring period and applying nitrogen, but it's it's worth pointing out that if you're not applying nitrogen at optimal rates, you're going to have missed opportunities and not be capturing that growth, you know, following your investment in sowing ryegrass pastures for the across the whole season. Yeah, no, that's really true. As I said, that high growth rate is there. It's an opportunity. Now, if we miss out on two tonne out of a grazing, you know, for over the season of potentially eight tonne and you're back to six, that's 25% less feed and it increases the cost of that feed. So as I said earlier, that a big reason to think about spring and capture that extra growth is it does lower the overall cost of pasture. And now is the time to do it. We, you know, potentially... You know, things dry out as you go into October and you just can't grow the feed. But if we can't capture and utilise that feed, then the cost of the feed goes up quite a lot. And nitrogen may be, you know, prices are going up. Josh has got some figures to contend with. It's really not a reason to back off. That increased cost is being spread over the whole of your growing growing year and uh, it's important to get as much as you can in the, in the time you have. I think the key too is utilise that moisture, right? So we're coming out of winter now. We've really got some good moisture um, available. Um, as soon as we start getting this, this uh, warmer weather coming and, and the light, the light's going to be better as we go forward. Um, so if we can utilise that moisture and grow more tonnes of dry matter, because typically along the coast area we can have quite dry springs. So I hope it keeps raining, but if we can utilise the moisture and go as much feed while we've got it, that's the key. And, um, you know, if we put 50 kilos of, uh, you know, nitrogen down per hectare, 
and we get a 20 to 1 response in August, which is quite achievable um, with good plants and plants that are available to respond, you're going to get an extra tonne of feed per hectare. So it's really, really worthwhile doing. Fantastic. Yes. So I think we really need to be mindful of capturing that opportunity as we move forward. And Peter, I just want to quickly refer to the Hunter Local Land Services put out a newsletter, a monthly newsletter, and in that you've got some good points around a lot of what we're talking about today, but also there's some photos around some of that visual stuff that you see when the pasture is nitrogen deficient. So we'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. So we might move on now to talking about um, our grazing management of our pasture to capture that spring surplus. So direct grazing management um, and also you know, conserving any true surplus. Josh, can I hand over to you to have a bit of a chat about that? You know, we, we talked a bit about nitrogen and, and, you know, trying to grow more feed. And at the end of the day, it's about utilisation. So I, I go to quite a few farms that are good at growing feed, but sometimes they don't utilise it. And I go to farms that probably don't grow as much, but they utilise it really, really well. So um, grazing management is about how do we utilise what we actually grow and look after those plants, but try and grow the you know, really good quality feed as well, so that we can you know optimise the opportunities that come. I always say that everything I've learned I've learned off someone else, and typically I learn most of this stuff off off seeing good farmers operate and um, being able to put in you know processes and really focus on on those opportunities when they come because sometimes they don't come that often. So. I think we do have a really good opportunity coming up, good moisture, and, you know, if we're going to have good nutrition, you know, let's look forward and start to plan and make sure we get our grazing management right. So some of those things like, you know, just, you know, we haven't got a long time here, you know, there's sometimes, you know, five, six-day courses that we go through to, to talk about grazing management. But, you know, the next few months, you know, visually what we're going to see and, and what we see on farm is we're going to have increased light and increased temperatures. And if you've got good nutrition and you've got moisture, Right, we're going to grow more food, okay? So typically we might be around a 40-, 50-day rotation through winter, but as we come out and towards spring, that's going to shorten, okay? So all to do with temperature and day length is going to um, increase our leaf uh, emergence, okay? So we really want to focus on the golden rules, okay? So the golden rules for our grazing management for setting our rotation is we want to try and achieve that two to three leaf, okay? So we want two to three leaf because we don't want to go before two leaf because the plant hasn't recovered enough yet to be able to handle grazing. We want at least two. We don't want to go past three leaf because the plant starts to senesce and die and we lose quality. So we want to stick around that two to three leaf for ryegrass and we don't want to go past canopy closure. So you stick to those two rules before you go into graze is the key. The quick one with the canopy closure, we've really got to focus on that in spring. I'm starting to see more and more um, nut grass and weeds and all that sort of stuff coming through summer pastures and that's really driven by grazing management in my opinion and in spring when we get these flushes these spring flushes and we haven't got our grazing management and our true surplus and silage and all those sorts of things under control we get canopy closure and we start to kill those summer pastures underneath our, our crop in our ryegrass so canopy closure is really important for our summer plants to be able to come back and recover but it's also important to keep the quality in the ryegrass that we have, okay? So we want to try and, you know, preserve as much quality feed as possible. So they're the two things that we really want to focus on to set our rotation length, okay? So that, that guides us, okay? Every time it starts to speed up, gets warmer, we get moisture, we've got good nutrition, that's going to grow faster. 
We need to reduce the rotation length and come in there quicker, okay? What's that going to do to us, okay? Well, what it's going to do is going to give us more hectares per day to feed our animals, okay? So it's going to give us more grass into the diet if you have the same cow numbers, and then allows us to then play with our supplements and reduce our supplements. Okay, so we try and adjust that so we get more of the, the relatively cheap feed that we talk about, which is our pasture, try and get as much of that into the diet as possible. And then we're going to hit a stage, okay, you know, once we get to August or September, everyone will be different with different stocking rates, but you'll get to a stage where you've pulled back your supplements enough, where you're comfortable, you don't want to pull out any more, and you still look to be wasting feed. And if the cows are wasting feed, okay, you've spent money, okay, there's no point wasting it. Our golden rule is we want to be about that you know, four to six centimetre residual, so we don't want to go below that. Once we start going above six centimetres, we're wasting the feed. So instantly, once we're at that point, we're starting to see cows waste the feed, okay, and we don't want to pull out any more supplements, instantly it's telling us we have a true surplus. So then we can use some um, maths and some information or you know, there's ways to do it, is to work out how many hectares you need to pull out so then you can conserve that feed, okay? Some people really worry about conserving feed and they don't want to conserve it and that's okay. But in my opinion, you've spent the money, you've um, you've done the right thing with the grazing management, you've good quality feed into the animals. So it's now sitting there going, well, here's some true surplus feed, but if you don't deal with it, it's not going to be conserved, but you're also wasting it. And then also if it's wasting too much, and I see this on farms in spring all the time, It'll start to mulch down and it'll start to kill out new tillers. It starts to shade and the cows didn't eat it last time, so they're not going to eat it next time. So we're missing an opportunity and we're actually doing damage to our pastures going forward. So being able to, you know, recognise when that true surplus is there, keep the light down into the base of those plants, we're going to be able to um, grow better quality feed, grow more feed, and we're going to be able to conserve a lot more feed as well. And I guess there, Josh, I think um, it kind of makes the point that perhaps we need to be flexible in which paddocks we're locking up and being able to potentially move those paddocks just so that we maintain that quality. When we're conserving that fodder, we still want it to be high quality fodder. So if we're going to get to a paddock before we can actually conserve it, being able to adjust in that instance. Yeah, it's 100% right, Chena. And, and, you know, what I've learned from good operators and good farmers is they recognise that surplus really early. So they, they don't get in a, a pickle where it's all out of control and they've just got to go on lock up the farm we've got to try and get away from lock up paddocks because at the end of the day we should be cutting silage when they're meant to be grazed right so they shouldn't be locked up at all they should be just when they're ready to be grazed is when they're cut for silage but it's about recognizing what is available and what can you pull out of the rotation okay to then you know if you and you, and you can do it if, you, if you're on the ball and, and I always say that you know when things are good like this this is when farmers are the busiest because it's when they've really got to be organized they've got to be talking to their contractors a long way ahead, recognising paddocks when they're going to be ready for the contractor, not the other way around, okay? It's not when the contractor gets there. It's when can the contractor get there. Now recognise the paddocks you can cut for silage. Right? They're the ones that get pulled out and you still keep your quality feed going. So 100% right, Shana. It's about, you know, conserving that feed when it's meant to be fed to an animal is exactly what we want to be trying to achieve because if, if we just lock a paddock up, like I said before, we're going to go past canopy closure Okay, and if we're doing that, we're going to be killing those new tillers that are coming for that, that next grazing. Okay, and we're also going to be shading all that summer pasture that you potentially have underneath and doing damage to that as well. We observed this last year when we had wet conditions 
through this period that when you just can't get the cows on because they're going to bog it up, then you end up presenting them with feed that instead of being two and a half to three tonne of dry matter, it's, it's five and six and, and they really only eat the leaf and they leave a lot of stem behind. So bearing in mind that if you can't get on and graze in your normal rotation, then the feed's going to be building up. And if you're offering, you know, tall feed, they're not going to eat it well. And there's a number of different strategies but, yeah, as Josh said, the thing is just saying, hey, okay, I know something's going pear-shaped with it's too wet, so we do get, you know, three inches of rain. What am I going to do? What are my strategies? And start thinking early. No, that's great. And I think, as Josh has said also, it's about that communication too with your um, your contractors, thinking ahead, be proactive in that space. We might talk now about uh, nitrogen or urea pricing at the moment. We're currently seeing nitrogen urea prices increasing at a rapid rate. And we did mention earlier on in the podcast that that shouldn't be a reason to stop applying nitrogen to your pastures because there is still an opportunity there, even though they are going to higher rates. I think we were sort of, you know, around $600 a tonne a month or two ago and they're heading northwards towards $1,000 a tonne. Josh, do you want to uh, just talk about our, our break-even response rates and potentially something around that urea pricing at the moment? Yeah, sure, Shana. And, and look, it, it is a, a consideration that, you know, it's a bit annoying this that you know, when we want to use a, a fair bit of fertiliser, it, it seems to skyrocket, but um, that's just the global market and also the domestic market we're in. And look, I always encourage farmers that I deal with to, you know, be talking to their suppliers, looking at forward contracting. Sometimes, you know, people want to try and get the cheapest price, but sometimes it's about knowing a price that you can handle and deal with because there were some contracts there sort of a few months ago, but they're all, all gone now and, and the price is definitely going well up to that $1,000 a tonne. Um, in one-ton bags and bits and pieces. So, but if we quickly have a you know a think about it, the first thing I'll uh, and Tina, you can put some links to to these uh, YouTube clips and Richard Eckert, like that I've listened to and, and watched the most, and he he taught me as much as um, I know about nitrogen. So, if you look at some of his YouTube clips, and they're really simple, they're only you know two three minute sort of videos. You know, he talks about how much nitrogen you should use, the timings, and what the cost is, and I guess it's the cost one we're sort of talking about now, Sheena. And, you know, if we want to go 50 kilos of urea to the hectare, okay, which is sort of the higher rate of where we're wanting to be, even if it gets to $1,000 a tonne, okay, roughly, a bit of, so let's say 1,040 or something like that, so it works out at $2 a kilo, okay. So if we work on $2 a kilo of unit per end, we're going to put 50 units out. So it's going to cost us, let's say, $100 okay, a hectare for that fertiliser. So, and we should be able to get a 20 to 1 response. The response we're going to get, Peter's got some numbers here that he's had locally where we've been getting up to 30 and 35 to 1 responses, okay? So the higher that response is, that's 30 kilos of dry matter grown per 1 kilo of nitrogen applied. So if we put 50 kilos out and do a 20 to 1 response, basically that's going to grow us 1,000 kilos per hectare of dry matter, so 1 tonne of dry matter, and it's going to cost us at $2 a kilo, $100. So for that extra tonne, even at $2 a kilo, we're normally we're at about $1.30 or $1.20 a kilo. So it is substantially higher at the moment. But even at $100 a tonne for feed, for the return, it's still pretty cheap feed. But, again, you should be always doing these numbers to, to see whether you need the feed. Nitrogen is a feed source, okay, and if you don't need the feed, 
and you don't want to store the feed and, and, and for whatever reason, um, it might be stocking rate, you've culled most of the animals or whatever it is, well, then don't apply the feed, yeah, the nitrogen. If you need the feed and it's going to be relatively cheap feed, $100, you've already done the planning costs, you've already done everything else, and you've got your grazing management under control um, and you've got the ability to conserve some feed, you know, the extra um, $100 a tonne to, to grow that extra feed. Yes, so there's still uh, still opportunity there despite those high prices that we're going to see. Thanks for that, Josh. Uh, is there anything else? Yep, anything else? Yeah, look, I guess one thing that we have skipped over a bit is, is potassium as well. So once we do start to grow a lot of feed and our rotation is going to shorten, so we're going to be on a shorter rotation, we're going to start harvesting a lot more feed. I'd definitely sort of be looking at, you know, your blends, obviously the nitrogen rate we talked about, but looking at some potassium um, in that blends as well because you're going to start to remove a lot more potassium as you start to produce more feed. Just and a comment on that too, that with the uh, soil testing we've done, often it's one or two paddocks that are really low in K where you've been taking silage off. So there's a, probably 20% of the farm might be low in K and it really needs to be addressed. But conversely, you can have pretty high K in some paddocks. So it's always worthwhile knowing you know, which one's which. Soil test. Yeah, soil test. Yes, yes. Highlights the importance of the soil test. How much does a soil test cost, gents? At $100. $150, yeah. About $150, yeah. So well worth the investment. Well, unless we need to address any other issues, uh, I'd like to thank you both very much for your time today. Uh, it's been a great discussion on you know, management of our ryegrass pastures coming into this spring period, potential growth rates and the use of nitrogen to manage that and also some good tips, visual tips for assessing your pastures around their any potential deficiency of nitrogen, but also that grazing management to try and capture the, the true surplus uh, and conserve that and also graze it properly as we go around the paddocks. So thank you, Josh. Thank you, Peter. Uh, and I hope that we can catch up again at some point in the future and, and talk, talk more pastures. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure, Shana. Yeah, thanks, Shanna. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this month's The Business of Dairy podcast, produced by the New South Wales DPI Dairy Business Advisory Unit. This series is also brought to you with funding and support from the Hunter Local Land Services. This month's show notes contain a full transcript and resources mentioned throughout this podcast, including links to Peter Beale's article in the Hunter Local Land Services Winter Newsletter, Professor Richard Eckhart's Nitrogen YouTube Clips, Josh Hack's Grazing Management YouTube Playlist, and a link to the First Smart Nitrogen Pocket Guide on the Dairy Australia website. If you would like to learn more about soil testing and nutrient management planning for your farm, a First Smart course is well worth investigating please out, reach out to your regional development program such as Dairy New South Wales to learn more about these. We'd love to sh- you to share this podcast with your networks and feel free to send any feedback or suggestions for future episodes to businessofdairy at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to our New South Wales DPI Dairy Facebook and DPI Livestock Twitter feed and view or subscribe to our quarterly DPI Dairy newsletter using the links provided.